You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of 1 Kings. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. 1 Kings chapter 3 tonight. I was definitely blessed. I had a last minute, if you weren't here on Sunday, had a last minute phone call last week from my pastor, Rob, uh, Rob Verdine in Corvallis. And um, he was on his way to Brazil and Basically, a long story short, his visa had been voided because he hadn't used it within a certain amount of time. And, uh, and so he and four others who were on their way to Brazil, as he was going to speak at a pastor's conference, he was told he couldn't get on the plane. And so uh, as he was just wondering what in the world he was going to do with two weeks that he had really nothing to do, um, the Lord told him, come to, Corva- uh, come to Prineville and, um, and just encourage me. And so he did. And I was like, you're not coming here without teaching, buddy. So uh, he came and taught on Sunday if you weren't here. And if, even if you were here, man, I, I was just sure encouraged uh, to get to have him here and just see what the Lord has already been doing here uh, with Ryan and just to see the vision and the things that are already happen, happening now. But uh, I'm definitely encouraged by that. But First Kings chapter 3, and let's go ahead and pray. Lord, just have that last song on my heart. Uh, Your faithfulness reaches to the sky. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountain. Your love, O Lord, it just reaches to the heavens. And and we lift our voices to worship you, our King. And Lord, as great as David was, even as we're going to read a remembrance of David, that he was true and righteous, uh, Lord, you are so much more true And so much more righteous, Lord, as you were without sin and without spot. And as great as Solomon was as a king, uh, Lord, you are just so much more great and worthy of glory and praise. So we lift our voices to worship you, our king, as we study 1 Kings tonight. We love you, Lord, and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we're in 1 Kings chapter 3, we just hop back to chapter 2 real quick and in Verse 10, it says, so David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And then verse 12, Solomon sat on the throne of his father, David, and his kingdom was firmly established. And so last week we really got into the first inaugural chapter of Solomon being king. And as we look at chapters 1 through 12 within the next 10 or 11 weeks, Uh, We're going to see Solomon's reign and his building the temple and his fame throughout the world and um, and how his kingdom was firmly established. But in that amount of time, we're also going to see him uh, declining in his relationship with the Lord and it just going majorly downhill. And uh, but his kingdom was firmly established in the beginning, and we're going to read that tonight. Uh, But just sad to see that by chapter twelve. Uh, it, it's on the decline big time. In chapter 3, we just the beginning of his kingdom being firmly established. Verse 1, it says, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. So sadly, within one chapter, one verse of the next chapter of Solomon's kingdom being firmly established. Within the first verse, Solomon makes a mistake which is going to result 
in his downfall. He makes a compromising decision that's going to end up eating him alive. And that mistake is that he marries a non-believer, an Egyptian, an Egyptian woman. And you see that he married Pharaoh's daughter because he made a treaty with Pharaoh. And so oftentimes back then, uh, as, a, as two countries would make peace with one another, they would marry one another's daughter. You know, someone would marry the other guy's daughter so that, hey, we're not going to attack each other. We're family now. We're in-laws. So take it easy, you know. Let's, instead, of, let's, instead of shooting arrows, let's have a picnic, you know, and let's talk about our differences. And after all, we're family. And so to make peace, Solomon uh, marries Pharaoh's daughter. And, and she is a non-believer, if you will. She's a non-Jew. She's a Gentile bride. Now, if you look over in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites. I love that one, the Parasites, the Perizzites. The Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. And you shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. So Solomon makes a bad choice. You know, lately with Russell, uh, you know, those of you that have had little kids, you know this. But, uh, you know, he, he makes a bad choice and has to go sit on the stairs and won't go sit on the stairs and drops down on the ground and throws a fit. And so the rod comes out, you know, and, and before the rod touches the booty, you know, there's the conversation, you know, Russell, what did daddy tell you? No, no, you know, well, you know, what did you do? Bad choice. You know, these are just like in the, he doesn't even really think about it. Just no, no, bad choice. That's it. You know, and, um, and yeah, you made a bad choice, you know, and correction needs to take place. Now, because daddy loves you, he corrects you. And, uh, and then, then the deed is done, you know, and uh, yes, I'm a father that spanks his child, but uh, you wouldn't want to show him without that. Uh, and so Solomon here makes a bad choice. He had no business marrying this Egyptian woman. He had no business compromising here with Pharaoh. And this is just one of the many marriage alliances that Solomon is going to make with the countries around him. And it's something that he didn't even need to do because the Lord promised that if Solomon obeyed, he would have a peaceful kingdom. And if you look over to chapter 11, uh, verse 1, this is at the downward part of Solomon's kingdom. Let's see where it went from chapter, you know, the first chapter after he's king, after the day after the inaugural ball, and he marries the Pharaoh's daughter. Here's 11 chapters later. You can just hear the crash. In chapter 11, verse 1, but King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, 
women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites from the nation of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away, and underline this, surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all of his foreign wives who burn incense and sacrifice to their gods. That's a whole lot of bad choices. (laughs) The compromise that happened here. The seeking after pleasure for one thing and the seeking after peace. And the Lord told him, and we've studied it the last two weeks, that if you'll just obey. And David, before he passed away, his, his dying words to Solomon, if you just follow the statutes of the Lord, follow his commandments, follow his testimonies, follow hard after the word. And as we studied last week, David said to Solomon, Be strong in the Lord. Be a man. Fear the Lord and keep his word. And if you will, he will bless you. And we just see that he he compromised. And 11 chapters later, it's just a very dark time for Solomon and for the nation of Israel as well. But notice that he even built an altar to Chemosh, the abomination of Moab. That means he married into the Moabite women. And as you remember the uh, the history of Israel as they were coming up from Egypt, uh, they, they came into the land of Moab and Balak, the king of the Moabs, was looking over the hill and he saw these Israelites coming that were millions and millions of people coming up out of Egypt, coming through his land, and he was terrified. And so he hired a prophet, Balaam, to curse Israel. Hey, come here, curse these people. And Balaam would go and he would seek, you know, seek the Lord after a curse. And the Lord would say, no, you can't curse him. And as he'd come to the hilltop to curse Israel, only blessings would come out for Israel. And Balak would be like, what are you doing? And he'd hit him, you know, and I don't know if he actually hit him, but he'd be like, what are you doing? I'm paying you good money to say a curse. I don't, I open my mouth to try and curse and it just won't come out. But hold on, I'll go seek the Lord again and see what I can do to, to curse Israel. And he prays and comes back and three different times there, I can't even remember how many times it was. It might've even been five times. For some reason I remember five oracles, but he's, he's 
doing this, and that happens time after time after time. And, and finally, you know the story, you know, uh, he's going to go and, and try and curse Israel and his donkey, he's riding his donkey to go curse Israel and the donkey just like stops in the middle of the road and, you know, stupid donkey, come on, stupid donkey. And then donkey goes into the side of the cliff and is bonking him into the side. Stupid donkey, stupid donkey. And, you know, gets off and raises his sword to kill the donkey and an angel of the Lord said, stop, don't hurt the donkey. You know, the Lord's tried to speak to you. Now he's got to use this donkey to speak to you to not go after them. Don't go curse these people. And so what ends up happening, and, and this is a really sloppy storytelling of, of the story. You guys can read about it in Numbers 25. But as you read that, you don't exactly know what happens. But it's interesting that in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus tells us what happened. He tells us in chapter 2 verse 14 that Balaam went back, back up on the hill to curse Israel. And he couldn't curse Israel this final time. And so he says to Balak, it's so hard that their names are so similar. It's like, which one's which? Balak or Balaam or blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, Balaam's donkey, if you can remember that. <laughs> uh, so he says, uh, I can't curse them, but here's what I'll tell you to do. Get your Moabite women to go down in there. Put their camp right next to the camps of Israel and have them wear their most stunning outfits and put that Victoria's Secret perfume on, you know, and wear the, that, you know, that lustful outfit and get those boys to come over. Woo those Israelite boys to come over. And Jesus tells us that to the church in Pergamos, who's the compromising church, he says, I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. So what happens is, he says, I can't curse Israel, but we can get them to compromise. And that'll be just as bad as a curse. In fact, the Lord will curse them. And so as you read Numbers chapter 25, verse 1 through 9, you can flip there. But let me read the story. Now, Israel remained in Acacia Grove. That sounds like a nice little peaceful camp spot, doesn't it? Acacia Grove. And the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. And they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of Moses. A guy comes right in front of Moses and in front of the judges and, and they're hooking up like right in front of Moses. And, uh, and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping, they're weeping about this compromise that's happened at the door of the tabernacle. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through. 
the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. Do you see what happens, guys? Look at me. Do you see what happens when you compromise? Specifically in the area of marriage and yoking yourselves to non-believers. Are you seeing what happened to Solomon as he yoked himself to many non-believing women who were serving other gods, not his God, but other gods? Are you seeing what happened? After a amount of time, it took time, but as time went on, he began to become more and more lukewarm. And the more and more he compromised, his heart got harder and harder, and he became more and more cold. And it says that these women turned his heart away from the Lord. Do you see what happens as you join yourself to a non-believer? That you begin to worship their other gods. Now, perhaps they don't literally have a funky idol sitting on the fireplace in, in your house or whatever, But what will happen is you'll begin to love the things they love, which have nothing to do with God. You love the shows that they love, and you begin to talk like they talk. And you begin to conform yourself to the way of the world. You begin to conform yourself to be like this person, the most intimate, close person that you'll... Excuse me, I'm spitting a lot tonight. The most intimate, close person that you'll ever be with in your life is your spouse, I mean, let's be honest, we, we share everything with them. Sometimes you accidentally grab their toothbrush and use it, and when you find out about it, you don't really even care. <laughs> That's how close you are. That's never happened to me, but I've heard stories. You know, as you, as you begin to conform like this person, the Phillips translation says that you squeeze yourself into their mold. You become like the world, and your heart begins to turn away from the Lord. And the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel as they went into the Midianites. And it just became so, they became so numb to the sin that was happening, they just didn't even care what it looked like. I mean, here's a guy that, that's like hooking up with a, a Midianite woman. They're playing the harlot, it says, right in front of the congregation to where the guy just goes and takes a spear. Phineas, what a name, huh? Phineas thrust them both through right there in front of everybody. That's how wicked it was and how numb they had become over their sin. Well, we all know 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, don't we? If you don't know it, you need to know it, especially if you're single here tonight. It says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And the picture is of two oxen that are yoked together. And if we're talking spiritually yoked to somebody, like we're talking tonight, spiritually, you are alive in the Lord, right? You're alive in Christ. You're a new creation. What is that other oxen? Spiritually, they are dead. If you're unequally yoked, they are dead. Could you imagine an oxen trying to drag a load with a dead oxen attached to its yoke, I mean, they would go nowhere. It would just be one, you know, oh, that'd be ugly, you know. And eventually the other oxen would just 
keel over and die too. That's exactly what happens when we yoke ourselves together with non-believers. First, it slows you down. Maybe you're able to drag them along a little bit. You know? I've practiced that a lot. In front of the mirror today. Let's see, should I put my tongue into it more? But, you know, first you can kind of drag them along. And pretty soon you're just, you're just staying in the same place. Pretty soon you're laying down. All of a sudden you're dead, you know, and the vultures are eating you. Are you catching the application here? Or should I explain that? Well, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You guys, I know so many Christians who know this verse. They can quote it. That's one verse right there. That's one verse. Do not be unequally yoked together with a non-believer. Already, you haven't memorized. But I know so many Christians. They name the name of Christ. And yes, I'm obedient to his word. One of my favorite memory verses since childhood is do not be unequally yoked together with a non-believer. And yet when dating time comes around, that dating season, all of a sudden this does not apply to them. It applies to everybody else, but you don't know my situation. I've been single for a long time, or this guy's really good looking, or this girl, man, she makes my heart beat faster than any other girl ever has. Oh, she's so good looking and Oh, man, you don't know what she's doing to me, you know? You don't know, you know, we, we talk and, and, you know, she, she's gone to church before, you know? And, and you know, we do, we do everything we can to maybe hop over that and hop over that, that one verse, you know? And then there's so many more verses than that one verse. But is there any way that we could just not talk about that verse right now? That would be awesome, you know? But be honest. You guys, if you think this doesn't apply to you tonight, it applies to you tonight, okay? Man, especially after our study on divorce a couple weeks ago and understanding the high stakes in marriage and God's high standards for marriages that they never are divorced, they never fail, that they're always united together to become one, never to be separated. God joined them together, what God Join together, let not man separate. And when you understand God's high standard of marriage, that there never, ever be a divorce, and that it not even be in the vocabulary of a Christian, then what in the world are we doing compromising in dating non-believers? What are we doing? The stakes are just too high. And the verse goes on. You see, it's not just do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, but it goes on. Paul goes on there in 2 Corinthians. In verse, uh, I suppose that wasn't one whole verse, I thought it was, but it goes on and says, For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? There's no fellowship. Righteousness, a sheriff, you know, and, and a criminal, and the breaking of the law. There's no fellowship between those two. They war against each other. So why are we dating the person that we would war against in the most important aspect of our lives? Why are we doing it? There's no fellowship there. And what communion has light with darkness? First John chapter one, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There's no fellowship. God is holy. We're to be holy. Our spouses are to be holy. There's no fellowship 
light and darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. You are the temple of the living God. And it just goes on. Oh, the stakes are so high. The stakes are so high. And just as Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's delicacies, Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. So tonight, if you are single here tonight, tonight, purpose in your heart. Just right now, purpose. I will not defile myself. I will not set myself up for years and years of pain and torment and struggle and warring. And then when my children come and, and then there's that battle as, as it's important to me that they're in fellowship, but not important to my spouse. And I purpose in my heart right now where I'm at that I will not yoke myself together with a non-believer. And man, it's hard. It's hard. You know, especially as the years go on and you remain single, it's so hard. But let me encourage you. God is faithful. He is faithful. And as you are seeking first his kingdom, he is going to bless you. And if he has put the desire on your heart to be married, it will happen. I have a sister who's 30 years old. And I got married when I was 20. You know, so she was you know, 23, I think, or something like that. You know? and a couple years later, my little sister gets married. And my older sister, you know, Heather, she's 30 now. And, and you know, we're, we have two kids. And my little sister just found out she's pregnant. And, you know, and here's Heather, a gorgeous woman of God. Gorgeous. Loves Jesus with all of her heart. She's in ministry. She's always served God with all that she has. And it's like the guys in Corvallis are like, you know, like, I can't see you, you know, and, which is okay, actually, you know. But our just encouragement to Heather is just wait on the Lord and just keep being faithful, and he's going to grant you the desires of your heart. We had a secretary in Corvallis for, for a really long time, and, and as I was the high school pastor, she was the secretary before my mom, and her name was Lori. And I remember, you know, I think she was like 28 when I came on staff and she was so long to be married and she's beautiful and a missionary before she was our, our secretary and just beautiful. And I would vacuum the office and pray for her husband and go around and just, Lori, I am praying for your husband. You know, don't take this the wrong way, but you're a beautiful woman and you love Jesus with all your heart and he's coming, he's coming. And I'd vacuum and pray and just for years, Vacuum and pray for Lori and for her husband. And guess what? 31 years old, she meets a guy named Keith from California, not from Corvallis. <laughs> you know, loves the Lord with all of his heart. You know, now that I've got a couple kids and she's just so happy. And just to see, Lori, you waited and God came through and he's so faithful. You guys, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. And if your desire is to get married, you keep seeking him with all your heart. Don't compromise. Because if you compromise, you are setting yourself up for years of struggle. And there's many in this room who can attest to that. There's many in this room who you know, could just say, if, if you could just go back, if I could go back 20 years, I'd do it all over again. Hear the word of God. Don't push it to the side. It is for you tonight, and it is for me. 
in all sorts of aspects. You know, that applies to friendships and, you know, business things and stuff like that. But man, look at Solomon. These women turn his heart away from the Lord. We all can think of the people in our lives that are just, oh, they're just struggling now because they've, they've erred and they compromised. And, uh, but the Lord can restore those years that the locusts have eaten, huh? He's faithful to do that. Please tell me we're not still in verse 1. <laughs> Don't worry, we're going to do chapters 3 and 4 tonight, and it's going to be awesome. I just shouldn't get so fired up about stuff. Not to mention, he brought her to the city of David until he'd finished building his own house and the house of the Lord. So, you know, some 20 years later, uh, she didn't get a house, (laughs) you know. So you can see that she also was struggling. You know, I want me some kids in a home, you know. And here he is out serving his God late at night, you know. So it goes both ways there. Uh, It's miserable for the believers, too, let me tell you. Uh, Or the non-believers. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. So the high places, you read about them constantly in the Old Testament. They are elevated, open-aired places of worship patterned after the Canaanite worship. And the pagans felt like that the higher they were up, the higher they were to their gods, the closer they were to their gods. And in Numbers 33.50 and in Deuteronomy 12, verses 1 through 5, uh, I'll just read from Deuteronomy 12, 1 through 5. It says, These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord your God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live in them. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things, but you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. And there you shall go. And so uh, they would go to these high places and, and they were supposed to tear them down. As they would come into the land, they should have torn down these altars that the pagan people worshipped at, and yet they used them to worship God there. And, you know, it's, it's a confusing subject, but it's just that the, the, the God of the Jews is so, and our God is so elite and so true. And there's just, there's, there's ways that he's to be worshipped. Uh, he's to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And he didn't want sloppy seconds, you know, on these places that the idols were, were worshipped at. And you can read about in Joshua 18 verse 1 that in Joshua's time, the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at a place called Shiloh. And they set up the tabernacle of meeting there in Shiloh. And so that was one place that was, was approved by the Lord. In fact, the first slide tonight is just a picture um, of that area of Shiloh. Um, so they would worship at the, at, on these high places and Shiloh was okay, but, um, so, uh, verse three, Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father, David, except that he sacrificed and burnt incense at the high places. So you might underline that word, except 
because there should be no except in this sentence. It should just read, and Solomon loved the Lord, and then go on to verse 4. But you see, again, here's another area that he compromised. He loved the Lord, and he walked in the statutes of his father, except that he liked to go to these high places to, to worship. And, you know, there should be no except in the Christian life. Is that something that is said about you here tonight? And he or she loved the Lord. That sounds so good. And then there's that word, except. Except that they did this, or they did that. And, and you can fill in the blank. What is it for you? And tonight, the Lord can just convict us of that by His Spirit. And we can fill in that blank. Rory loved the Lord, except he did this. You know, he worshipped himself. He, he was prideful, or this or that, you know. And, and we can throw down those idols before the Lord and throw, throw that down and repent tonight. Because we all know the Shema, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, except, no, there's no except in the Shema, love him with all that you have, all of your being, all of your intellect, all of your, your physical body, everything about you, love him with all that you have. And so another compromise that Solomon uh, made. And then verse 4, Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And so we also see that there was a tab- the tabernacle of, of the Lord was here at Gibeon. And I'll be honest, I don't, I don't fully understand this, you know, uh, they, they, they took the tabernacle to Gibeon, and so the, the ark wasn't there, but you know, the tabernacle was there. And so there was just some, you know, not 100% following of the law of Moses and how the tabernacle was supposed to be treated. And so Joshua uh, prayed here, here at Gibeon. And so if you could go to the next slide, we'll just have a map to show you. You know, one reason we may be going to Gibeon to worship instead of to Shiloh is, uh, it's a good thing I have the shakes. This makes this a lot funner. See if I can stabilize myself. Here's Jerusalem, right? Shiloh is up here, but Gibeon is just a little closer to Jerusalem. Did you even see that, or was I just all over the place? You know, it's in the genes. Um, not, not that they're tight, but my grandpa had the shakes really bad too. But um, so you know, Shiloh was maybe a few more days' journey. You know, without without the semi-truck full of the tabernacle in the back, you know? Uh, it, it was a ways up there. And, you know, we got our headquarters in Jerusalem now, so let's go to Gibeon. That's a special place, you know? That's where the sun stood still in the days of Joshua for 24 hours, you know? That was a special place. That's the pool of Gibeon is there where the, you know, that big battle took place in, in 2 Samuel chapter 2. And, uh, you know, Gibeon, it's, it's okay, let's worship there. And so uh, he did. And, and while it wasn't 100% what the Lord had, uh, here we see that the Lord still meets Solomon. And as he's worshiping the Lord, you know, he's not worshiping idols. He's just not worshiping in truth. What a, what a lesson to us. Let's worship the Lord in truth as we worship. Um, but, uh, but whether or not, you know, it was completely God's heart, he still met uh, Solomon here. 
And uh, at Gibeon, verse 5, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask, what shall I give you? So God appears to Solomon in a dream. And oh, just as I, I read this, I just am, am desiring that the Lord speak to me in dreams. He spoke to Abimelech in a dream as, as Abraham tried to give his wife uh, to Abimelech and, or just kind of didn't want to claim her as his wife so that Abraham wouldn't be killed. And, and as, as Abimelech took Sarah, Abraham's wife, the Lord spoke to Abimelech in a dream and said, don't touch her. If you touch her, I'll kill you. you know? And so even this, this pagan or Gentile Abimelech was spoken to in a dream. Jacob was spoken to in a dream. Jacob's ladder that he saw, angels ascending and descending on this ladder. Joseph and Daniel and Joseph, Mary's husband, Pilate's wife, all, all were spoken to in dreams. And then we have the prophecy in Acts chapter 2. Uh, it's remembered in Acts chapter 2, but it's actually from Joel. And you guys know it, Joel 2.28. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And so just as I was... Just thinking about this passage all day. I, you know, I'm a dreamer of dreams. I can remember them the next morning crystal clear, but not necessarily have an interpretation for them or know exactly if they're from the Lord or just because I had, you know, a spicy enchilada and a root beer float before I went to bed. But, um, you know, it's kind of embarrassing, I know. But um, I just can't sleep after those root beer floats. But, um, you know, I want the Lord to speak to me. You know, I want the Lord to come upon me by his spirit and speak to me in these ways. And so, man, even just as we're seeking the Lord together at the pulse and just crying out for the gifts of the spirit to just be used in the body and that there's those that the Lord wants. Can you believe that? There's those in this fellowship that God wants to be dreamers of dreams. And um, so Solomon had his dream here and or the Lord appeared to him in the dream And he said, ask, kind of a shout there, ask, what shall I give you? And uh, let me ask you this, what would you answer if the Lord asked this to you? Let me just write that down in in your paper or whatever, you know, YG450F dirt bike, you know, like that could definitely be on the top 100 of Rory's covet list that I have in my back pocket, you know, Uh, you know, what is it that you would, would tell the Lord if he asked you this. And, uh, you know, having a little two-year-old, yes, we've been digging out all those Disney movies. And of course, I watched Aladdin last week, which it's been the first time in 15 years since I've seen that movie. And, you know, the genie in the bottle's like, you ain't never had a friend like me, you know. And here the Lord is appearing before Solomon, you ain't never had a friend like me. And heresy to even compare Lord to Robin Williams being a genie. But, um, but you know, the Lord's like, hey, Ask me anything, anything, and I'll give it to you. And, uh, you know, John chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus says, until now you've asked nothing in my name. And he says, ask. In fact, the Greek says that it's, Jesus is saying, please ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Please ask. You know, Jesus himself tells us you have not because you ask not. And, you know, Chuck Smith has said that, you know, if it were me, 
I'd be afraid to answer or, or my answer to the Lord would be that I'd, I'd ask the Lord for too little. It's funny because right before I heard that on a tape, I was like, man, I just don't know what. I, I feel like I would ask the Lord for too little. You know, I'd be like, oh, save Prineville. And he's like, well, why didn't you ask for all of Oregon? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> don't force me to spend that prayer too quickly. You know, I want to pray about it. And, um, you know, be more like, Lord, what do you want me to ask? You know, what do you want? Uh, what's the great thing that's in your heart? And um, so ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. So, uh, Solomon kind of says these interesting things about David's life that mark David's life and what a neat compliment uh, for a father, you know, at the end of your life to perhaps hear your son say this, that, yeah, you know, my dad walked in truth. He walked in righteousness. He walked in uprightness of heart. And that's what Solomon remembered about his dad, those things. And Notice that God doesn't argue with Solomon. <laughs> what? Do you remember, David? Do you remember your dad? Do you remember that old Bathsheba incident? You know, and then the whole killing of Bathsheba's husband, you know? I don't know if you remember that, but that was a big mark in uh, David's life there. But no, God doesn't argue with Solomon. And it's interesting that, you know, truth, righteousness, uprightness of heart is what the Lord looks back in seas of David's life. And I don't know if you've ever done a study on Hebrews chapter 11. All the high schoolers have, when middle schoolers, we just went through that at the camp a couple weeks ago. But as you look at Hebrews chapter 11, which has been called the hall of faith, and in the same way you would go through a hall of fame, you go through this hall of faith where all the heroes of the faith are memorialized and commemorated for their extreme acts of faith in the Lord and holding him to his word, even conquering whole armies with just themselves and taking out giants and all these incredible things, building arcs when you're a hundred years old, you know, or 500 years old for a hundred years, you build an ark, you know, and all of these great things. And as you walk through Hebrews chapter 11, you read about Abraham and Noah, Gideon, And as you read the stories, never are these men's sins mentioned. Never does it mention that Abraham, you know, twice told another king that his wife was just his sister. So he would, you know, so there wouldn't be any conflict there, you know, twice, you know, never is it mentioned that after the ark rested on Mount Ararat, that Noah got drunk. And then something funky happened with his son that no one really knows what happened. So we just skipped to the next chapter, you know. And then, you know, Gideon, and he conquered the Midianites. And then after that, they wanted to raise Gideon up to be king. And he said, no, don't raise me up to be king. Let's serve the Lord and let him be our king. But here's what we can do. Give me all of your gold earrings and I'll make a golden calf and we'll worship it. You know, what? (laughs) You know, he was doing so well with that. No, let's let God be our king. But then 
you know, sometimes we don't shut our mouth when we should. And he just, you know, went on to, but let's build another God and worship it. Oh, I went too far. Did I go too far? I went too far. Okay. You know, but you don't read about that in Hebrews chapter 11. And why? Why don't you read about Samson, you know, marrying a non-believer and going into a harlot and getting hooked up with Delilah and eating unclean honey from the carcass of a lion? Why don't you read of these sins? Because you guys, in Hebrews chapter 11, we see these men through the lens of the cross. We see these men from the lens of the cross. And as far as the east is from the west, that's how far our sins are put away from us when we come to Jesus. My, your sins I will remember no more. And so it's just incredible as, as David has gone home to be with the Lord, as it's remembered about David, his life was marked by truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart. And you know what? Every time that David did sin, and he was a sinner, and he did some heinous sins, you know what set him apart from Saul? His humility. That when he failed, he humbled himself before the Lord, and he appealed, as you read in Psalm 51, he appealed to the tender mercies of, of, of the Lord. Whereas Saul was prideful and was stiff-necked and wouldn't bow the knee to the Lord and humble himself and admit failure. He, David appealed to the Lord's tender mercies and, and his sins were remembered no for. No for, that too. Um, mostly no more though. Um, and so he remembers his dad in those gray areas. And then verse, uh, verse 7 Now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king instead of my father, David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or how to come in. I'm a little child. You know, we've mentioned that Josephus uh, has said that perhaps at the beginning of Solomon's reign, he's about 15 when he, when he became king, 15 years old. Any 15-year-olds here? 16-year-olds? Wow, okay, a couple 16-year-olds. I just turned 16 yesterday. Okay, thank you. You know, imagine being a king of a nation at your age or last year, you know, crazy. But, you know, so now Solomon has a, uh, an Egyptian wife, you know, perhaps he's maybe 17 now or something like that. A young man, he calls himself, I'm just a little child. I, I don't know how to go out or how to come in. And, and just incredible that the Lord uses the youth. You know, you know, Jeremiah, when the Lord was calling him to be a prophet, he says, Oh, I can't do it. Behold, I'm a youth. And the Lord says, no, don't say that you're only a youth. I'm, I'm choosing to use you. I'm putting my words in my mouth. Here, look. You know, they puts him in Jeremiah's mouth and says, go out. I'm going to use you to speak to the nations. Go, Jeremiah. Go in this, in this might. And, um, you know, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul tells Timothy who was, you know, about 17 years old uh, at this time, as, as, and even, you know, a pastor in ministry, says, let no one despise your youth, Timothy. And you guys know this. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. So it's great to be a youth. When I was in Corvallis, when I was uh, 15 years old, God did a revival in Corvallis through the youth at Calvary Chapel. We went off to a camp 
all of us were set on fire for the Lord, come back to our homes and kids would go home to homes where there's divorces happening and, and uh, you know, just lukewarmness and all this. And parents started coming to church because of the testimony of their kids and they started getting saved and the church grew. The Lord can use the youth. He uses the weak things of the world, if you will, to put to shame the strong. And so here, you know, Solomon just recognizes that, that he's young. I'm a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come out. In other words, I don't know how to lead. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? So what does Solomon ask for? He asks for an understanding heart, or literally in the Hebrew, he asks for a hearing heart. Oh, that I could just hear you, Lord, that when I would seek you, I'd hear you. You know, I I can't do it on my own. I need you to do it. I need you to tell me what to do. I need you to make the decisions for me. I need a hearing heart. I need wisdom that comes from you. Wisdom to judge and discern between good and evil. Wisdom to rule your people, Lord. And James chapter 1 verse 5 tells us that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally. And without reproach, and it will be given him. Are you here tonight and just feeling like you need wisdom? In this situation, you know, in this economy, in your home life, at work, you just need wisdom? Then ask for it. Ask for wisdom and the Lord will give to all who ask liberally. He wants us to ask for wisdom. Solomon, you know, after he's given wisdom right here because he asked for it, He eventually writes a book called Proverbs. And you guys know Proverbs. The theme of the book of Proverbs is is wisdom for young men. Wisdom for young men. And in chapter 8 of Proverbs, you read about wisdom crying out. You know, the Lord wants us to have wisdom so bad that wisdom is actually crying out for us to ask for it. He says, does not wisdom cry out? She lifts her voice. She takes her stand on the top of a high hill Pick me, pick me, pick wisdom. Beside the way where the paths meet, she cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. Wisdom is just crying out for us to grab hold of her. The Lord wants us to ask for wisdom. And in verse 10, you know, Solomon asked for wisdom, and the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this thing. It pleases the Lord when we confess to him how small we are and how great he is. I'm just a little child. How am I supposed to rule this number of people that's as numerous as the sand and the seashore? But Lord, you're great. Oh, if I could just hear from you, I know that's all I need is to hear from you and to get wisdom from you, Lord. And man, I just never want to lose that in my life. Just knowing my weaknesses and crying out to the Lord. I'd rather be weak my whole life than ever get strong and stop relying on the Lord. I know my weaknesses and I'm desperate, desperately crying out for his strength. In fact, I got an email this week from a guy who, who, who told me, 
Rory, I just want to encourage you. I know you're young, but God's called you to be the pastor here. And, and you know, you've just been mentioning that you're young to the congregation. And I just want to tell you, you know, Paul told Timothy, let no one despise your youth. And I just want you to know, like, the people don't see that and, and don't even bring it up again. <laughs> you know, and he, he was just charging me, like, don't worry about it. Don't even bring it up again. And I wrote him back. And, you know, his email was like this long, just encouraging me. And I just wrote him back. What a word. I receive that, you know, promise never to talk about it again, you know, and, um, but then reading this, this passage and just realizing how, man, when we know our weaknesses and, and I am a youth, you know, and, and there's so much more wisdom out there than what I've gotten and just understanding my weakness and just, Lord, I just confess it before you that, that I need you. And so kind of went back on my promise to this guy a little bit, but you know, just dependent on the Lord. So hopefully there's forgiveness there. Um, and so the, the heart, uh, that knows how small he is and how big the Lord is, it pleases the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you've asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, you've not asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked the life of your enemies but you've asked for yourself to understand, to discern justice. Behold, I've done according to your words. See, I've given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after that. So the Lord gives him that, that gift of wisdom that no one has been as wise as him before and no one will be as wise after. And, uh, and so, you know, like Jesus says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And as Solomon was abiding in the Lord, he knew what he needed and he knew what to ask for and it was done for him. And so no one would be greater than Solomon except for one, Jesus. As Jesus says in the gospels, one greater than Jonah is standing here with you today and one greater than Solomon is standing with you here today. One greater than Solomon in wisdom, that was Jesus. And so uh, he asks for wisdom and he's given wisdom. You know, in the Proverbs, he tells us, Solomon tells us that wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things that one may desire cannot be compared with her. And, and the Lord says to Solomon, you didn't ask for this and you didn't ask for this and you didn't ask for this. And that's awesome because there's nothing that could be better to ask for than for wisdom. He also says in Proverbs 4, 7, that wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the first thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. In Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And tonight, if you would just fear the Lord and fall down before him. And, and that fear doesn't necessarily speak of a ah! type of a fear, like, ah, you're going to crush me. But it's a, whoa, I know who you are. And I tremble and I submit. And tonight you can tremble before the name of the Lord and lay all that you are down before him and receive his grace and receive his mercy. And the minute you do that and you receive his forgiveness for your sins, that's the most wise thing you can ever do, but it's just the beginning. You keep getting more and more. 
And so he gives, you know, the Lord gives Solomon that wisdom. And then it also says in verse 13, and I've also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So a bonus, you know, the Lord does exceedingly abundantly above what Solomon asked for. Ephesians uh, 3.20 tells us that he does that. He does exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And he did that for Solomon right there. Because Solomon sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things were added unto him. Isn't that incredible that if you'll do that, if you'll fear the Lord and, and just that, be, that principle thing of wisdom, all those things will be added unto you. And uh, so he gets that bonus there in verse 13. Verse 14, so if you walk in my ways, so here's that, that caution, that clause. If you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So if you walk in my ways and keep my statutes, that clause is still there like it always has been. We've been reading that clause since the beginning of Solomon's um, appointment as king. But he says, I will lengthen your days. Now, you guys know that by chapter 11, Solomon had gone down and, and he hadn't obeyed. He hadn't kept the statutes. He hadn't kept the testimonies. And so there wasn't length of days. And Solomon ended up dying a young death before the age of 60. Some believe he, believe he was 56 years old when he died. Uh, verse 15, then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. So here's wisdom. He fed people. And um, no, the burnt offering is a picture, you know, as they would throw the whole carcass of the animal on the altar, and the entire thing would be burnt up. It was a picture of the person saying, Lord, I offer my life as a living sacrifice. Here have all of me. But he also offered up a peace offering, which was kind of like, you know, they take half the animal and burn it completely for the Lord. And then the other half, they would cook and have fellowship, fellowship with the Lord, really, and fellowship with one another. And they made a, he made a feast and had a party uh, with all of his uh, servants. Now, two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And as I've read this, I never really realized, never processed in my mind that, that they were harlots. And these women had gotten pregnant because of their harlotry. And, uh, and just a word of, well, yeah. Two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. One woman said, oh my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house. And I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I'd given birth that this woman also gave birth. And we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And so uh, two harlots, roommates, no one was else was there. They probably helped deliver each other's babies, you know. And uh, there's no one else there uh, to know what's happened here. And a neat picture here of Jesus, Solomon being a picture of Jesus, is that sinners had access to Solomon, just like Jesus allowed sinners to be in his presence. In fact, he went the other way and had dinner and fellowshiped uh, with the harlots and the tax collectors you read about. And uh, this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. 
So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, no, but the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. And thus they spoke before the king. So some great arguing going on. Now, interesting, this is before DNA. This is before fingerprinting. What would you do in this situation? I was thinking about that. I have no clue what I would do. And so we get to see the wisdom of Solomon here. The king said, this one says that this is my son who lives and your son's the dead one. And this one says, no, but the son is the dead one. You know, and uh, the king said, bring me a sword. Automatically, you'd be like, what? Don't think there's really the need for a sword here. But they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two. And give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she learned, yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered. And it's funny because the other girl won at that point, And yet, yeah, she incriminated herself. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. Uh, she is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. And uh, James chapter 3 tells us heavenly wisdom versus demonic wisdom. Uh, in chapter 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. Uh, and so that's just always a good thing to keep in mind. What are the attitudes that are being shown here? You know, is it wise for me in this place? Am I even willing to yield or is that, do I have a peace? And you'll know you're making a, a wise decision if you have a peace in your heart, if, the, if there's purity. But if it's causing you to go into sin, then, uh, then you know that that's, that's not wisdom from above. Um, we're just going to kind of scan chapter 4 uh, because then you start getting in next week into the, the uh, temple, uh, the buildings of the temple. And so, uh, so King Solomon was over all Israel. And in verses 1 through 6, he appoints 11 princes who are basically his cabinet. So you read about all these guys. Uh, you read about a guy named Zabed, who's the king's friend in verse 4. And, uh, and so Solomon is using wisdom to establish a leadership here to facilitate the Lord's work. And so just as I've been meeting with the elders, we've just been praying in our, in our own lives how we can be raising up leaders in this church so that the work doesn't just rest on the five elders, but that you know more and more people are being raised up to help share the load of ministry in this body. After all, that's the work of a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And, and uh, 
And so 11 princes or like a cabinet is set up, verses 1 through 6. Verses 7 through 19, uh, 12 governors are set up. And each governor provided food for one month of the year. Okay, so this was no small task uh, to provide this food that they provided. Uh, Each guy provided the food for one month. Uh, One of the guys in verse 8, his name is Ben-Hur, and uh, in the mountains of Ephraim. And uh, don't ask me why I told you that little tidbit. Actually, I I did have something that I wanted to share there. Ben-Hur, I mean, come on, are you not getting that? But um, I did have a fun fact, number 1,694, about Rory. And uh, we can go ahead and go to this slide, if you don't mind. And that is that my great-great-grandfather was General Lew Wallace, the author of Ben-Hur's, stable boy during the Civil War. So I just thought you would like to know that little fun fact about me and the fact that he was in the Bible also. No, he wasn't. It's a completely different, it's a completely different story. But go check out Ben-Hur with Charlton Heston. I know you'll be as blessed as I was. Uh, <clears throat> okay. A little bit of youth pastor coming out in me. Sorry about that. Uh, verse 19, you also read about Og, the king of Bashan, uh, was, was in the area of uh, Gilead where Jeber was placed over. And he was a, a giant, a king of the giants. Uh, then in verse 20, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. So really the heyday of Israel here, it, it's at its peak. It's in its, its best place ever uh, at the beginning of Solomon's reign. Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms. And then the next uh, slide kind of shows Solomon's kingdom. Oh, too far. Oh, you ruined the punchline. Okay, good. Uh, this is Solomon's kingdom that you read about. Uh, huge kingdom. In the green is present-day Israel. In, in the neon green, I guess I should say. In the kind of light green is Solomon's kingdom. So just absolutely a huge kingdom. Verse 22, Solomon's provision for one day were 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fatted oxen, 10, 20 oxen from the pastures, 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl, for he had dominion over that whole region there. Judah, verse 25, and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan as far as Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. Solomon had four, it's actually 4,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Now that was another compromise of Solomon's because he wasn't to have horses and chariots because the, the Lord knew that he put his trust in the horses and chariots, and it should be on the Lord. The trust should be on the Lord. These governors, each man in his month, provided food for the king's table. There was no lack in their supply. They brought barley and straw to the proper place for the horses and steeds, each man according to his charge. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. Uh, and Egypt was just known for its, its wise men, for he was wiser than all men. And Ethan and basically all of the um, Einsteins are mentioned of that day there. Verse 32, he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. So could you imagine writing that many uh, songs and proverbs? You ought to try to write a psalm which is a song about how you feel about God. And try doing that this week. Try writing a psalm about the Lord or try writing about a proverb. In fact, I just wanted to share, as I spent time with the Lord today, the Lord gave me some proverbs and I just thought I'd share them with you guys. So just 
Prepare your heart to receive. Uh, Number one, man who lives in glass house should change clothes in basement. That's really tiny. Uh, Yes, Lord. Man who run behind car gets exhausted. He who smiles in a crisis has found someone to blame. It is easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Time flies like arrows. Fruit flies like bananas. Eat well. Stay fit. Die anyway. Junk is something you've kept for years and throw away three weeks before you need it. A balanced diet is a cookie in each hand. If you are too open-minded, your brains will fall out. If your parents never had children, chances are you won't either. (laughs) Build a man a fire, and he'll be warm for a day. Set a man on fire, and he'll be warm for the rest of his life. I can resist everything except temptation. Man who sneezes without hanky takes matters into his own hands. And we can now ask the Holy Spirit to come back. Um, Verse 33, also he spoke of trees from the cedar to the trees of Lebanon, even uh, to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. Uh, Monty would just love this guy, and uh, so would Ron Halverson. And men of all nations, from all the kings of the earth, who had heard of his wisdom, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. In fact, we'll even hear about the Queen of Sheba later on, just coming to hear of his wisdom. And so we'll go ahead and have the worship team come on up and You know, the question is asked, if Solomon was so wise, how could he have acted so foolishly? 700 wives, 300 concubines. And the answer is that it's possible to be wise and yet make foolish decisions about God. And out there in the world today, there's so many wise men that just make foolish decisions about the Lord. And as we just go ahead and put our things aside and we just stand tonight, Jesus said that there's one greater than Solomon here in our midst. Jesus is greater in his person than Solomon because while Solomon was the son of David, Jesus was the son of God. Jesus is greater than Solomon in wisdom. Colossians chapter 2 verse 3 says, In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is greater than Solomon in wealth. As we read in, King of, in Revelation, we call him the king of all kings, worthy to receive all riches, power, glory, and blessing. So Jesus is greater in power and glory and fame. Jesus will reign over a kingdom in which there will be no end. And while Solomon sinfully took Gentile brides from around the world, Jesus sacrificially took a bride from around the world. Us from every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
And Solomon had a friend named Zabed. And Jesus tells us in John 15 that we're no longer his servants. For a servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But we're his friends. And so we want to focus on Jesus. The one here in our midst tonight who's greater than Solomon. And as we worship, I just want to go ahead and and have you guys who have kids in the back. Just go and grab your kids right now. Every single one of you that have kids. Go grab your kids and come back and come back, you know, or you're dismissed to leave as, as well tonight. But I just encourage you, bring your kids back in here and just close in worship with us tonight as we worship the one who's greater than Solomon. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.